Welcome, welcome, welcome into a Tuesday edition of Caleb and Kinney in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, full strength today in the studio. We are? As far as I know, we are. Well, that's true. We have internet. We have phones. Phones. You should be able to stream today. As far as I know. things. So ready and roaring to go here on a Tuesday. Coming up on the show today. Uh, the Colts face a historic defense this Sunday. We'll give you some info on that in a bit after headlines. Plus, I can't believe we're still talking about this, but Tom Allen went out and said something even worse regarding the quarterback carousel down in Bloomington at IU. New Olympic sports, one that I think everyone's going to be fascinated to see how that will work. Um, James Boyd of The Athletic will join us in hour number two, just after eight o'clock. Anthony Richardson probably done for the rest of the season, that according to Jim Ursay. So what's that mean for the Colts? Is is year one a success, a failure? How, how do we rate what Richardson did this season, if that is true? More complaints about NFL turf. Uh, the latest complaints from a player, where things stand in the league. We'll get to that. And, um, you know, there hasn't been a lot of talk about this college football program the last several weeks. But that doesn't mean the season's been a failure. We'll explain that later on in hour number two. And don't worry, we're back to Bears bear stories. So All right. We have a bear uh, breaking and entering to steal. Seriously. Well, something I think anyone would be willing to go after if they found it in a the, fridge. The crime wave of bears continues. Yes. But again, it's, it is what I'm trying to think of like what, like, Beef season, right? Where you just want to beef up for yeah, hibernation. Get ready so for... they're doing everything they can sure. to get ready for winter. Desperate times. I'm guessing by the end of this month, they will be ready to hibernate. They will. So desperate times call for desperate measures. So that is all on the show today. Also, we're giving away another four pack of IU Records tickets. Homecoming weekend down in Bloomington. Um, Hoosier Hysteria is on Friday night. And then this game is a noon kickoff on Saturday at Memorial Stadium in Bloomington. So you could you could go to both if if you so desire. But we're giving away a four pack of tickets. So yesterday the uh, the the code words were Hoosier hysteria. Let's just do Rutger, no S, just Rutger today. Just Rutger, Rutger yeah. without the S. Yes. Okay. Just text Rutger to four six eight six two, and you'll be in the running. We'll pick a winner at the end of the show this morning. Morning. Hello. Hi. How are we doing? Oh, living the dream. Yeah. Are we all? Uh, you informed me that we missed a critical anniversary. We yesterday. did yesterday. We always find out these things after, after the show. Right. But uh, Dennis Green, part of the intro, we are who we thought they were. And we let we them let off, them off the, hook. the hook. The classic uh, breakdown of the Arizona Cardinals against the Chicago Bears uh, anniversary was yesterday. So that would have been 2006 or five. Um... I want to say 2006. Um, what was it? Yes, 2006. Okay. Uh, what's weird is I specifically remember uh, being in high school, like psychology class, talking about this with the classmate. Really? Yes. Yeah, it was 2006. <laughs> we were like breaking it down. <laughs> the uh, The Arizona Cardinals led the Chicago Bears by 20 at halftime. And... The Cardinals let him off the hook. It was 20 to nothing at halftime. And the Bears came back 
and one. The winning points were scored by Devin Hester, an 83-yard punt return for a touchdown. Interestingly enough, the Bears did not score a single offensive touchdown <laughs> because that's just typical Bears. They scored on a three-yard fumble return by Mike Brown, a 40-yard fumble return by Charles Tillman, and then the winning points scored by Devin Hester, an 83-yard punt return for a 24-23 to win, leading to Mr. Dennis Green in the post-game cup. Or post, post- and again, that's a Bears team that made the Super Bowl, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they did. 2006. Uh, uh, great it's, stuff, it's crazy so. how much the NFL has changed since then. Like, you don't, you don't get teams like that. You don't, what are you saying? You don't get the Bears in no, the, in the Super Bowl? No, I'm saying teams with no offensive prowess, with, like, nothing at quarterback. Are you calling Rex Grossman nothing? Uh, I'm saying that he was not an elite NFL quarterback. I think that's definitely fair. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with that. Yeah, that's all <laughs> I'm saying. I mean, we had a string of Super Bowl winning quarterbacks where it was like, what? Brad Johnson, Trent Dilfer, Rex Grossman. Um, Jake Dolan was actually pretty good, so he doesn't count. Ah, Jake Dolan uh, along, got with along, the Carolina. Yeah, and then Donovan McNabb, he was pretty good. But like those were the Super Bowl quarterbacks over like a six year period. Yeah, it was a it was and, Matt Hasselbeck was in won. there. Yeah, it was yeah Jake Delhomme got there. Rich Gannon got there. It oh was, yeah, it, Rich Gannon was elite. He was, was really he? good for a, yeah. for like two minutes. Yeah, Oakland. He he had like two or three really good years. But we're not talking super or we're not talking Hall of Fame guys here. Like two thousand two Super Bowl thirty seven was Brad Johnson versus Rich Gannon. Yeah, two years before that was Trent Dilfer versus Kerry Collins. It was a different era of football. Yes, it was. Let's just say that, okay? And um, yeah, the Chicago Bears that year, 2006, went to 6-0 and after that win over the Arizona Cardinals. What a time to be alive as a Bears fan. They ended up going 7-0 and before losing, of course, to the Miami Dolphins, because the Miami Dolphins weren't going to let anybody go undefeated. And uh, the Bears eventually got to the Super Bowl loss to the Colts. But yes, the anniversary yesterday, the 17th anniversary of we are who we thought they were, and we let him off the hook. And the best part of that was him pounding the side of the podium when he said it. Yeah. And we let him off the hook and pounded the... That was great. Just showing emotion, the physical strain uh, of Dennis Green, the late Dennis Green, by the way, who passed away a couple of years ago. The, and the thing is, Dennis Green was a really good NFL head coach. Yeah, man. With the he Vikings, had a lot of success. And the Arizona but Cardinals. He's remembered by... That one press conference. <laughs> he uh, absolutely is. Uh, passed away in 2016. And uh, overall record in the, in the NFL, 113 and 94. Actually coached in college. Coached Stanford and Northwestern. I had no idea. I think I knew about Stanford. Did not know about Northwestern. He was 10 and 45. Here's, what, here's, what, here's how football has changed, okay? Not just with the quarterbacks. Dennis Green from 81 to 85 at Northwestern was 10 and 45. Okay. Then he goes to Stanford for three years of 16 and 18 and then gets the job with the Minnesota Vikings the year after in 1992. <laughs> like was a career 26 and 63 in college football and got the job with the Minnesota Vikings and was very good with the Vikings. Make no mistake. But no way. Does Dennis Green in 2023 get an NFL job with that resume in college? I, I mean, Cliff Kingsbury got an NFL job with his college resume. True. 
but that's really the only recent thing I can come up with that's close. But he was, I guess, a young, vibrant dude. Yeah, offensive up, mind. I guess. Yeah, offensive mind. Once again, going back to that day of of being an offensive mind. But I think what had one, maybe two winning seasons at Texas Tech. Yeah, Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah, they they were always hovering around bowl eligibility, and it was, I mean, not for a lack of talent. They just just couldn't, couldn't close out couldn't games. Get there. Bowl eligibility, something that could be foreign to both the Purdue Boilermakers and Indiana Hoosiers this season. Absolutely. Headlines time this morning. Uh, again, don't forget you can stream us, as far as we know, 1380thefan.com, the free 1380thefan app, or on your smart speaker. So, Monday Night Football, Cowboys hold off the Chargers last night. Dak Prescott, solid, ran for a touchdown, threw for a touchdown, no picks. Cowboys get the win on the road at the Chargers. You know, is all the hype there is about Justin Herbert, can we talk about how disappointing the Chargers have been like year after year? I mean, they at least made the playoffs last year, but of course choked. I mean, for the Cowboys, like, yeah, this is a game they're probably supposed to win. But really the issue is the Chargers are a team that seemingly every year between injuries and just coaching are let down. I thought Justin Herbert was really good last night, but they had no running game. Nothing yeah. for Austin Eckler. Uh, Justin Herbert was able to scramble for some yards, but overall this was a a uh, offense that once again struggled to move the ball consistently with the Chargers last night. It was a, a decent start by San Diego to get off to a quick 7-0 lead, but uh, Dallas took care of business, and Dak Prescott was good enough, 272 yards and a touchdown, didn't turn the ball over. And the Cowboys bounce back after losing, getting routed by the 49ers last week with a road win on the West Coast last night. Meanwhile, elsewhere in the NFL, Justin Fields, no surgery imminent for the quarterback. He is doubtful for this week with a dislocated thumb, no timetable moving forward. Tyler Badgett time in Chicago. The, where did he go to school? He went to Shepherd College. Are you just making no, a school name? No, that's it's a real the real <laughs> play. What undrafted Shepherd College. Is it like FCS? It is Division a Division II? II school. Okay. Uh he was recruited by FCS teams, Robert Morris and Albany, but he ended up at Shepherd University. He has 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 the all time touchdown pass record across all the entirety of the NCAA with 159. But he will get the start for the Chicago Bears. On Sunday, I think they play the Raiders, but it is uh, Tyson Badgett time in Chicago, at least for the foreseeable future. Meanwhile, in Major League Baseball last night, the Texas Rangers, they're never going to lose again, beat Houston. They now have a 2-0 ALCS lead. I don't think anyone would have expected that. Uh, They won 5-4 in game two at Houston. So the Astros, not quite on the brink, but it's close as the Rangers hang on. Um, Texas got off to a great start, built a 5-1 lead before Houston started to close the gap a bit. But overall, this is very surprising what we've seen so far. It has been an exceptional run for Texas so far in these playoffs, and it's been very, very impressive. It's all about getting hot at the right time, and Texas has been able to do that. And... It's been nothing short of impressive, not only getting off to a 2-0 lead, but winning both of those games at Minute Maid Park in Houston. So uh, another solid performance by a starter, 
and then the the uh, bullpen was able to to shut Houston down late. This was a five one game in the third, and Houston just kept chipping away, a run in the fourth, run in the sixth, run in the eighth, but really couldn't get over the hump and uh, take the lead or at least tie this game. So Texas goes up two zero, and now they head to Texas or head they are already in Texas, <laughs> so they they head, they head to Houston. They head. To, no, they, no, no, no. They had to. Uh, they had Arlington to Arlington. Yes, yes. they had to Arlington. <laughs> we, we, we both botched. It's that. early, people. Uh, they had to Arlington for Game Three that will come up. Uh, I don't know if it's tonight or tomorrow. Uh, coming up. Let's see. It's tomorrow. Tomorrow. It's only the NLCS tonight. Correct. Uh, and speaking of the NLCS, Philly jumped out to a 1-0 series lead. They beat Arizona five to three last night. Bryce Harper, Kyle Schwarber, Nick Castellanos all hit home runs. As the Diamondbacks fall, Phillies get the win. Phillies seem like, to me, if I were to pick a favorite, I would pick the Phillies to win the whole thing. This was the team that last year got on the run at the right time and got to the World Series, fell short against Houston. But man, if we get Philly and Texas in the World Series and two teams that are just blitzing the through the playoffs, that did, neither of, them, of which got a bye... In the first round, it would be uh, setting up a, a very good World Series against two teams that are playing the best baseball at the right time. But yeah, Schwarber goes goes deep. You have Bryce Harper go deep, and he's been clutching the playoffs, batting over 400. Nick Castellanos has been clutching the playoffs. He's batting over 370 for Philly. So the Rakers are raking for Philly, and they're on a roll to get the first game at home at Citizens Bank Park last night. Game two tonight. Meanwhile, Kyle Schwarber... Four leadoff homers in his postseason career. That broke a tie with Derek Jeter and Jimmy Rollins for the most in Major League Baseball history. Isn't it a while that Kyle Schwarber yeah, is mean, a leadoff? A, a dude that batted 197 in the regular season and hit 47 home runs, something like that. Like, just a dude that he's like an Adam Dunn-esque that's not going to hit for average, but he's going to hit a lot of bombs for you and drive in a lot of runs. Last year... 41 homers, 94 RBI, and batted 240. And you thought, okay, well, we can deal with that. This year, batted 197, like I said, with 47 homers, 104 RBI, struck out 215 times, walked 126 times. It's just a a mind-boggling stat line for Kyle Schwarber, but had a big game last night with the leadoff homer. Meanwhile, in college basketball, the polls are out. Preseason polls are out. Purdue Third in the AP Top 25, second in the coaches poll, Kansas number one in both. Duke number two in the AP, Michigan State fourth, Marquette fifth to round out the top five, defending champ UConn sixth. You know, on the coaches poll, it goes Kansas, Purdue, Duke, Michigan State, and UConn, the top five over there. No real surprises at the top. I think when you look at at the Big Ten and we said it's going to be Purdue and Michigan State, well, there you go, three and four in the AP Top 25. Elsewhere in the Big Ten, though, when you go down, are those the, I think Illinois snuck in? Illinois snuck in uh, 25th in the AP poll, so, and I believe that's it. So not much respect for the rest of the Big Ten in the initial top 25, at least on the AP side of things. So who challenges those two teams in the Big Ten? Is there anybody that can make a run at the Boilermakers and the Spartans? Is it weird to think that I feel like Wisconsin uh, could be pretty good this year? And Connor Seijin was was really good last year. Yeah. I, I feel like they're a team that just needed a year to to get a little bit more experience, and I feel like they could be 
you know, a top 25-ish team? I think so. Um, I mean, they had they had opportunities last year and looked really good at times. Um, but I think when you look at what they can do from top to bottom, I think their guard play has been was good last year. And they got a what did they get a St. John's transfer, I think. Um uh AJ Store, uh St. John's transfer. So and then you look at um Tyler Wall. Tyler back. Wall. Connor Asesian's back. Um they have Nolan Winter as a freshman forward that's supposed to be pretty good. So yeah, I think Wisconsin maybe is that that X factor that potentially could jump up there. I mean, somebody's got to be third in this conference. Why not Wisconsin? No, that that's just my early musings on what I think could happen. But obviously, we expect Purdue and Michigan State to be those top two teams. Uh, in recruiting news, Boogie Fland, who has IU as one of his finalists, he will announce a decision coming up on Friday. Okay. So, choosing so, between IU, uh, Kentucky, and I believe the other school Alabama, I is, think. Yes, Alabama. Friday, so, October 20th, so this Friday, 2 o'clock. If we were to look between the lines and say Hoosier Hysteria starts Friday, is Friday for IU, and Boogie Flan is committing on Friday, is that a coincidence or not? You know, I didn't even think about it that way. Um, I don't think it's not a coincidence. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe Kentucky also has their... Who's, who's he's he's a five-star guard, number one ranked point guard in the class of 2024. I, I mean, to me, you have Liam McNeely, you already committed, Boogie Flan, the other target, and then Derek Queen. Are they all doing these in you know successive weeks for a reason? Right? Perhaps I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Um, Not us trying to read too much into recruiting. <laughs> no, no, we never do that. Um, this would be huge for the Hoosiers, and they've already won one battle, like you said, with McNeely. We'll see if they can win another one with Boogie Flan. So you would get a essentially positionless wing that can play two through four in McNeely, and then a a combo guard type player in Boogie Flan, which would be, I mean, he, he's his natural position is the one he could play off ball if he needs to, but it would be a great one two punch for this recruiting class for Mike Woodson if he can land Boogie Flan. And maybe I'm looking too much into it with with. Announcing Friday the same day. Oh, no, no. I, 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 I think that's a great point that I hadn't even thought of at all when it comes to it because like a lot of times these things mean something. And does he announce and then does does he show up to who's I mean, it's a it's a haul from like White at Plains, two o'clock. York that to, is that is enough time yeah, though you, to maybe make I mean, it yeah. by seven thirty for the Hoosiers and then is that Hoosier hysteria at seven thirty at the assembly hall? Maybe. Possibly. It'd be, uh, It'd be a great night for IU fans if that was the case. Yes, it would. But as we've all seen, recruiting does not win championships. Lord knows it doesn't. <laughs> but it's a recruiting class that we continue to say still doesn't have anybody in it. Now they have five-star McNeely, and they could potentially add another one in Boogie Flan. Like I am I, the first one to say that stars don't matter, but at the same time, more the more top talent you can get, if you can put it all together, the better. And IU and Mike Woodson is bringing in a wealth of talent. He just needs to win more games with that talent. I'll say this. I'll, I'll disagree on the, the... I mean, we know in college football, stars definitely do matter. I would say in basketball, stars matter if we're talking about five stars. Because they have the, the highest chance you know, of 
of having a, a hit rate and getting to the NBA and being the elite players right. they are supposed to be. They also have the highest chance of being one-and-done type players. Yes, that too. Uh, in college football news, this is pretty big. Georgia's Brock Bowers, their All-American tight end, will undergo surgery. Uh, he suffered uh, an injury, uh, a high ankle sprain, so he, w- he had surgery. No timetable for his return, um, but return time anywhere from three to six weeks. Obviously going to be out for the Florida game, probably the Missouri game as well. Georgia is lucky that I believe they have a bye this week, uh, but the top player on their number one team out. I mean, this is a huge loss. He's their leading receiver, one of the best players in, in college football. Massive loss for Georgia if he's out any extended period of time. He is their primary playmaker in the passing game. And with Brock Bowers out, somebody else is going to have to step up. And when you look at it statistically, uh, 26.4% of the passing yards for Carson Beck, the Georgia quarterback in his, his first year, uh, have gone to Brock Bowers. Mm-hmm. That's a big, chunkier offense that's going to disappear. So we'll see how Georgia can uh, continue for the foreseeable future without Brock Bowers. And I more, could see maybe leaving, keeping him out until the SEC championship game, maybe even the college football playoff if Georgia gets there. We'll see. And the Comets make some more moves. Uh, defenseman Zazier Bernard signed by the Condors. And then they released uh, forwards Trist- Tristan Ashbrook, Cole Young, and defenseman Nathan Salame. You know what's wild for the K's is now they have, I want to say, up to 10 or 11 guys that are on AHL or, or NHL, NHL contracts. Yes. And that's a load of talent for the K's. And so they're going to be loaded with guys. But the problem with that is, of course, is at any time, Bakersfield could be like, hey, yeah, yeah, we need that guy back or this guy back. Um, So that's good to build around to start the season. But inevitably, you're going to have a lot of roster movement above you. And that's then going to impact you. So I think this this is a good situation for the K's. But how long can they hold on? to these guys, particularly with guys that are on AHL and NHL contracts. They don't want to be playing in the ECHL. They'll say all the right things. They'll do all the right things, hopefully. But their goal is to get back to the A or even the NHL. So if they're down here, hopefully that motivation is good for the K's and they can come out uh, playing good hockey from the jump this weekend. 46862, your text line number again, 46862. Uh, Meanwhile, the Colts getting set. For Cleveland on Sunday, and we saw what Cleveland did on Sunday against San Francisco, who was undefeated before that matchup. And a lot of talk and focus has been on Nick Chubb being out for the season, his injury, Deshaun Watson, his injury and missing games as P.J. Walker got the start. But hopefully people are taking notice. The Cleveland defense is having a historic season. They've given up just 1,002 yards all season. That's the fewest yards any NFL team has given up through five games in 50 years. Uh, you have an elite defense. We know they have great pass rushers, but they're, they're shutting everyone down across the board. Uh, the Titans, when they got blown out, uh, they only got 94 yards of total offense in that game. <laughs> only got a field goal. I mean, it's just absurd. When you have Derrick Henry, one of the best running backs in the league, I get it. Ryan Tannehill's just kind of okay uh, compared to what he was even a couple years ago. But 94 yards total. 
I believe, on 65 plays. This is stupid. Yeah. And, I mean, and it's coming from all three levels for Cleveland. I mean, Jordan Elliott has been very, very good at, uh, at tackle. And you look at even Jeremiah Wusu koromoa the former Notre Dame player, linebacker, has been absolutely phenomenal. It was great against the 49ers on Sunday. Their, Alex Wright has been really good on the edge. And their secondary is solid. This isn't just a good defense up front or a good uh, secondary. And of course, Miles Garrett's really probably the centerpiece of that defense. But man, it is a very, very good defense. And even when you're starting P.J. Walker, who P.J. Walker should never get a win in the NFL, let alone a win against the 49ers, yet he did it. And why was because of that defense. Like, P.J. Walker played terrible against San Francisco. He only turned the ball over once, I think, which I guess was a credit to him. But the reason why Cleveland won that game and why they've won most of their games this year is because of that defense. So the Colts really have a big challenge coming up this weekend against, so far, a record-setting defensive unit. Uh, And San Francisco got uh, above the average. They got 215 total yards in that game. So to They exploded. Yeah, yeah. To put it in perspective, you have the the perhaps one of the two or three best offenses in the NFL, and they only got 215 yards. Now, something that Cleveland has undoubtedly benefited from this season, they've already played four home games, just one road game. That will obviously change coming up on Sunday as the Colts host the Browns. Browns 0-1 on the road. But that's just a weird scheduling quirk there. A lot of home games then coming up for Cleveland um, going down the stretch, but can the Colts bounce back? The, the, this is why the NFL is so fascinating because you look at the, these teams and you say, just you looked at, at, at the Indianapolis Colts' effort on Sunday comparatively to the Cleveland Browns' effort on Sunday, and you think, okay, the Browns should come in and continue their momentum into Indy. But this is a game that I look at as a game that Indianapolis will probably win. This is what you're going to get from the Colts. This is what you get in the NFL. As soon as you think you know what's going on in the NFL, you have a Sunday like we did this past Sunday. And Cleveland beats San Francisco. And you have the Jets uh, getting a win over the Eagles. And so the Giants almost beating Buffalo. So just when you think you know what's going on, and right now you'd say, okay, Cleveland's going to come in against a, an offense that, that really looked piss poor against uh, Jacksonville is going to own them. I just feel like this is a bounce back game for the Colts coming back home. Cleveland has to go on the road coming off an emotional, impressive victory. And they're feeling pretty good about themselves, calling themselves the best in the world in terms of their defense. And I feel like this is a game that they come in and maybe overlook the Colts a little bit after the win that they got last week. I mean, that, that's just what happens in the NFL. You never know from week to week. And we never seem to know from week to week who will start at quarterback for the Browns. I mean, they went with the third stringer uh, in P.J. Walker as opposed to Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the rookie out of UCLA, who's played also this year. So that's another thing is who do you game plan for at quarterback because that also seems to be a question mark. Yeah, it's a rotator cuff contusion for Deshaun Watson. He could be back as soon as this week, but he may also be out another week so we'll see 
if Tom Allen was head coach of the Cleveland Browns, his brilliant idea would just be to rotate the quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah, that's Either right. It's two of them or three of them. Uh, he would just rotate him. But Watson's been out two games now. There is a possibility he returns to play at Indy this weekend, but that has not been definitively decided one way or the other yet. Speaking of Tom Allen, what he had to say about rotating quarterbacks and where things stand and why, well, all of this just simply does not make any sense. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you. 46862 is your text line number. Again, 46862. Just type in CK first. Your questions, comments, rants, send them our way. Also, you can text Rutger. Yes, Rutger. No S. The 46862 and be in the running for a four-pack of tickets. The IU and Rutgers on Saturday afternoon. Noon kick at Memorial Stadium in Bloomington, all part of a homecoming weekend down at IU. So your opportunity to win. We'll pick a winner into the show today. We have more tickets to give away throughout the rest of the week. All right, speaking of IU, quarterback controversy is back once again. So Tom Allen rotated quarterbacks in the Michigan game. We saw Brennan Soresme get some run. Taven Jackson started the game. And you thought, okay, we'd, we'd finally get to a point. Of course, we thought that after the bye week, right? That they'd have some stability at quarterback. You have a new offensive coordinator. But no, he's doubling down on everything. Allen said both have positive traits, talking about Jackson and Soresby. You just want to see more consistency. Also, Allen adds the Rutgers game starter will be the starter for the rest of the season. Not sure if I believe him on that, but he, here's my biggest problem. You just want to see more consistency, and yet they're the, the, you're the same coach who continues to rotate quarterbacks. How can you have consistency when you're rotating guys? When, when Donovan McCauley, uh, a wide receiver, said it was, they weren't even sure in the pre-drive huddle who would be the quarterback on the field in the Michigan game. What are we doing here? Like, How does Tom Allen have so much control over who's the quarterback and you look at, at the quarterbacks over the years, they, they keep having transfers coming in, transfers going out. Like, it, he can't develop quarterbacks. I think we know that. It was Kalen DeBoer who, who developed Michael Penix Jr. Had nothing to do with Tom Allen ever since Michael Penix Jr. left. It has been a carousel of quarterbacks, and it's been a mess. Greg Doyle at the Indy Star had a, a great article. I think it's out today, yes. this morning about IU football and Tom Allen and basically saying, pointing to that quarterback quandary, of everything from Peyton Ramsey to uh, Michael Penix Jr. Jack who, Tuttle, Connor Basilak. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, Brandon Dawkins was in there. Dexter Williams. Yeah. Remember he was going to be the dude? He, he's going to come back, you know, this year from, from right. his injury. He suffered in the Purdue game last season. And, you know, he could play late in the year. Who knows? Just, uh, it's been a mismanagement of epic proportions, and this year has been the worst yet. From thinking Taven Jackson was the guy to starting Brendan Soresby, then going to Jackson, then back to Sor- now you're having both. Now you're talking about consistency, which is the the opposite of what is actually on the field when you have inconsistency at the quarterback position from drive to drive. It's like a dude that doesn't understand the concept of continuity. And picking a guy and sticking with him for a game, two games, three games, and just seeing what he can do. 
instead it's just it's it's ineptitude basically it's not understanding how to handle the position and it's been an issue his entire tenure we're on year seven you're coming off a buy and you're still rotating quarterbacks. What are you doing? That's the, we talked about it yesterday. That's what you came up with out of your bye week when you're taking on Michigan is we're just going to rotate quarterbacks. That's what you you brought Rod Carey in for is hey, we're going to rotate quarterbacks. It just it terrible. Just pick somebody. Pick somebody and go with them and let them sink or swim so you know for sure who they are. Not to mention that it gives the huddle, your 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 players, some sort of guidance and ability to know that, hey, Taven Jackson is our guy or Brennan Sorsby is our guy. But instead, he's just playing mind games, mind, mind games with everybody. I don't know if he's trying to play mind games with Michigan, but he ended up playing mind games with his own team. Terrible. I mean, it, it, people say, well, but I, you can't afford that. 20. You better figure it out. You better find the 20 million. IU has $20 million, okay? The athletics department has $20 million. They're getting stupid money annually from the Big Ten. Take some of that money and get rid of Tom Allen as soon as possible. You cannot afford another season of this. You can't look at that and say, well, the buyout goes down to $8 million after next season. We'll try to get it. Imagine the damage that Tom Allen's going to do another year in charge of this program. Rod Carey saying that the plan to rotate quarterbacks in the Michigan game came from discussions throughout the bye week after he took over uh, former OC Walt Bell, who was fired. And Carey said, I think there are a lot of discussions. I follow Coach Allen's lead on that. Boom. That says it all. That says, that says who's Allen's calling call. the shots yes. here. And that's why we have this disaster at quarterback. That's why we have a disaster of a program down in Bloomington right now. Like th- This is all coming from the top. And we all knew this, right? We all thought something's wrong if Walt Bell is acting like he's kind of helpless with the the quarterback calls and whatnot. Something tells you there's something wrong when you're rotating through. How, how many offensive coordinators has it been in, in Tom Allen's tenure? Five, six, and seven years? And then on defense, obviously, there have been a, a bunch of, of changes as well. But that that's not the coordinators. That's Tom Allen. And if you can't settle on someone, maybe that's on you as a head coach. And maybe it's time that he takes some accountability and responsibility for that. I have to think that Rod Carey came in to the bye week and say, hey, we're going to go with Taven Jackson or Brendan. We're going to go with one of these guys. I'm going to use the next two weeks to, to, to push and push and push and try to put something together, build some continuity, build a game plan for Michigan. We're going to go in there. We're going to look confident. And, and try to to surprise the Wolverines, or at least have a, a, a good showing. But Tom Allen basically undermined that by saying, no, we're going to alternate quarterbacks. And Rod Carey effectively said that without saying that was, hey, it wasn't my, my idea. It wasn't my decision. He, he said the, the diplomatic thing, but basically was trying to distance himself from the crap show that was on Saturday. Text coming in at 46862. When has IU football been good? What's one more bad year? Well, I mean, they were good in 2020. They were good in 2019. I mean, the trajectory of this program went from ascending to descending incredibly quickly. I mean, think about all the hype that came into the 2021 season. Preseason ranked in the top 20. And everything 
was a disaster. You, you had the Iowa game, the Cincinnati game, and that was it. I mean, that was, and then the, the program has really been in shambles ever since. And, and and I'm sorry, like if you're a program and you're looking at a possibility of a two and ten season in year seven, how is how is that? worth anything and and you say well what's one more bad year well last year was a bad year the year before was a bad year so three straight bad years and it's not like it's his fourth year you know coming up where it's a you know a prove it year it's year seven he doesn't need a year eight we know who he is as a coach right he simply can't get it done and you could say well it's iu they're a bad program they've always been bad you know what i i disagree because i think you get the right coach you get the right investment they can win. And we've seen that over the last decade. We've seen them win games. I'm not saying you're, you're going to compete for going to a Rose Bowl and going to the college football. No, that's not what anyone's saying. But the expectation of IU should be win five games most years and go to a bowl, you know, every other year. Is that that unrealistic? I don't think so. Remember when they got rid of Kevin Wilson after going to back-to-back bowl games? 2015, 2016? Like, yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, they had a legitimate reason they had to, to move on, but yeah, true. But here's the thing is, is I, I, you can't just be a, we're going to fire our coach and bring in the next, you know, what coordinator or whatever. They need to make a concerted effort to hire a real coach. Okay. You need to get serious about the football program. I agree with the texter is what's it matter? Because IU football has always stunk. Traditionally, yes, they've always stunk. But they've always been secondary to basketball. And they're always going to be secondary basketball. But you look at the landscape of college sports, and football drives everything. You can't afford for your football program yeah, not to be anymore. a laughing stock. Look at what Kansas has done in football right. the last couple seasons. Not anymore, because football drives everything. Basketball is a revenue maker, but it is it is pennies compared to what football in terms of the top programs bring in. And the majority of the TV deal money is because of football. Okay. So IU needs to get serious about football and it can say it does. Oh, you can do re- you know, renovations to Memorial Stadium and all that stuff. Like get serious in terms of the money you're throwing out there and not be stupid about it. Not throwing stupid money at Tom Allen for one good year. And so that's where Indiana needs to make a fundamental shift is get serious about the sport that truly matters in college sports in terms of revenue, which is football, and hire somebody that has actually had proven success in college football. Throw stupid money at somebody and get somebody to come in and really change the trajectory of the entire program. So I agree with the fact that, yeah, IU traditionally has stunk in football, but that's because they've not valued football. They need to start valuing football because of how important it is in the landscape of collegiate athletics. I mean, lucky for IU, they can ride, you know, hosting teams like Wisconsin and Ohio State and Michigan, you know, to boost attendance every couple of years. And then obviously the curiosity factor starting next year with the West Coast teams coming in. But you can't live on that alone. And Yes, they've improved facilities for football. They still need a new indoor practice facility. They've, they're have they getting a, a football-only weight facility, which should open, what, after the, the start of this next year? So it's getting better, but there's still work to do. And I, I think 
as you mentioned, in this environment, you have to invest. Even if you're going to be a program that annually is winning five, maybe six games, you have to invest. It has to be a priority. And someone texting in, CK, there are plenty of teams in the Big Ten Football Conference. IU should move to the MAC. Yeah, I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can... You, you well, can move to willing, the MAC. They're not willingly going to the MAC. They'd have to get kicked out of the yeah, Big Ten. Yeah, that means you're out of the Big Ten, not just for football, but for everything. You can't just pick and choose. It's not like a, a sport where, you know, lacrosse, where Notre Dame, for example, is in, in the Big Ten, right? So it, it's not like one of those sports where you can pick and choose. Yeah, IU has to decide what they want to do as a program here. And as you said, you can't just hire another coordinator to be kind of the... You need someone established who is ready for a step up. It could be as simple as, as uh, Kane Womack, who's at South Alabama as a head coach, having success there, former IU defensive coordinator. Yeah, I just look at that I, as another... Yeah, I'm just saying that that's an option. Like, I'm, t- I'm talking about somebody proven in college football that's winning games and just throw money at them, okay? I'm looking at, like, a Luke Fickle would have been perfect if if IU was in a position to hire a coach. Wisconsin was, and they got Luke Fickle from Cincinnati. I'm talking about, like, serious, like, getting serious. I'm not talking about the next up-and-coming young coach that could be a person, could be... I'm talking about a real Power 5 head coach that you just throw, I don't know, $7 million a year at, $8 million a year to come coach at Indiana? Like, that's what that's what I'm talking about, getting serious. Like, Get serious, okay? I mean, even Lance Leopold, he's turned around Kansas. Yeah, yeah. Throw stupid money at Lance Leopold. That, that's what I'm talking about. And if, if IU is like, hey, we can't afford a move like that and buy out Tom Allen, then okay, you wait a year and then get rid of him next year and then you make that move. But it doesn't matter when you get rid of Tom Allen if you're just going to hire another young coordinator that you pray works out or a young head coach that's had success in the Sun Belt or whatever. I'm talking about a real Power 5 head coach, okay? Or has had Power 5 experience that has had success at the Power 5 level. Like, let's get real here for IU football. I don't think you can wait a year. The trajectory, like, you need... Uh, why just why punt another season next year? Well, my just thing because is, of the buyout. That's my thing not is, good enough. If you can, if 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 the buyout is en- is too much to where then you just have to hire a a quote unquote up and coming coach that is just going to fail like the rest of them, then it doesn't make sense to do it. If you have to wait and save twelve million so you can throw big money at a Lance Leopold, then I it makes sense to wait, but. And, and this is where something. I hope someone's willing to step up and just make it happen now. And, and we'll find out, you know, if they truly do go two and 10, which I think is very realistic, which means they don't win another game the rest of the season. Uh, we'll find out how much people are willing to put up with another year. Tom Allen, another text coming in. IU doesn't demand a top notch coach unless you back up a Brinks truck. And then it's still 50, 50. I mean, there's barely any tradition. The fans don't show up pipe dream. I mean, I, fans, I, fans showed up, though, in 2021. That's the thing. Fans showed up because there was preseason hype and they had really strong season ticket sales, strong, you know, game by game sales. So fans showed up then. And I get that season didn't work out. But fans showed up. So if you give them something to look forward to on the field, they'll show up. 
Just like any other program, right? Yeah, I think you look at even a dude like Gene Chizik, okay, had some success at Auburn. His final year was a disaster. Man, that was 10, 10 years ago, 2012. But won the national or won the national championship in 2010. Um take a take a shot on a dude that's coached at the power five level and has won a national champion. He's the D coordinator at North Carolina right now. Like get serious about hiring somebody that has proven success coaching at the high college level. Four six eight six two, your text line number four six eight six two. A couple other texts. Nobody wants to coach at IU. Another text, what year was Coach Hepner uh, before he passed away? That was their year. Ah, man, that's a good good question. Uh, 2007? Because that's when Bill uh, Lynch was like the interim. They went to a bowl. Is that right? It was 2000. When he stepped down was 2007, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, no. It was just two seasons he was there, 05 and 06. Okay. And then he stepped down in 07. But here's the thing with look, Terry Hepner. Okay. <laughs> he he was he went under 500 both his years like I guess they were trending to the right direction but you never know mm-hmm. with coach Hepner great dude and seemed to have the the program pointed in the right direction but it, but his he never finished above 500 which is something you can say about Tom Allen he's finished above 500 what twice uh, at yes. IU so even with with Terry Hepner and and oh it sucked that he passed away and he had the the program pointed in the right direction, seemingly, but we don't know for sure. It's not like he had already had established success on the field. But I mean, texters are saying it. Well, you're going to have to spend a lot of money. Yeah, do it. That's what I'm saying. Do it. Just overpay for somebody. Just get somebody that is proven at the college level. A couple other texts. Thanks, Fred Glass. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, he got everything but basketball at least he thought he had everything but basketball figured out because uh scott dolson figured out basketball yeah yeah (laughs) that was the one thing that fred glass could never never get right um but and obviously long term did not get right with the contract extension with uh tom allen another text how about the duke coach for the hoosiers uh mike elko why would you leave duke more money that's what i'm saying like yeah You'd have to have a lot more money because he is a great coach. And I think that'd be a great option. Yeah, I agree. Hire Mike Elko, throw crazy money, win better at Duke than you can at IU. I I understand that. But I'm saying is you have to pay enough money to say it's dumb for me to, to turn this down. That's the only way you're going to get somebody because of course it's easier to win at Duke, which is crazy to say it's easier to win at Duke than at IU. Okay. Of course it is. But, if you just get serious and throw just crazy money out there to somebody, if you even call my Mike Elko tomorrow and say, Hey, $10 million a year, come coach IU. He's going to be like, well, I mean, it's $10 million a year. That's what I'm saying. Like, of course people aren't going to come to Indiana because of the situation, but money talks and you throw, you get serious and throw just crazy money out there. Somebody will come. Uh, our buddy Ryan Eaton tweeting us uh, at Caleb Kinney thirteen eighty Coach O. Uh, yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know if that's a fit. Why not? He's won a national championship. True. Bring him in and see what he can do. I'm down for Ed Orgeron. He's had success, quote unquote, success everywhere he was. 
LSU, won a national championship. USC in a partial year. Uh, struggled at Ole Miss. But his LSU, he went 5-5 five and five and 6-6 six and six in his last two years. They will put a statue up for you at uh, in Bloomington if you can go 6-6 six and six every yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and, seriously. And, and speaking of Coach O, someone's saying Les Miles. No, I feel like... Uh, to, to me, Coach O and Les Miles, to me, are the same where... You've been at multiple stops. It, it's the game has moved on from both of them as far as just Miles coaching is style. Further and, removed from success than yes. Ed Orgeron has been. That is true. Um, so there is that. Quick timeout. New Olympic sports, including one I think we're all going to be fascinated to see how it will work. That's next. Caleb and Kitty in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Don't forget you can text Rutger. Yes, Rutger, no S, to 46862. Be in the running for a four-pack of tickets. See IU and Rutgers Saturday <laughs> afternoon. You know what's... Homecoming, Bloomington, Memorial Stadium. After we just crapped on the Hoosiers <laughs> for the last 15 minutes. Hey, text in. We're going to give you tickets for IU. <laughs> hey, we have tickets to give away. <laughs> uh, we're not crapping on, on IU. We're crapping on the coach. Yeah, and Rutgers, or Rutger is... a. Uh, Pretty solid team. You can see DJ Allen, uh, former player Leo. So, yeah, text in. You want to go to the game. One other uh, text that came in over the break talking about IU and, and coaches to replace Tom Allen. Uh, someone said, uh, CK, what is Chris Peterson up to these days? Former Boise State Washington head coach. He retired from coaching in 2019. So I know he does uh, some work for Fox in the studio, but that's it. You're not going to get him to, to come back. I mean, what – would get you out of retirement more than having the opportunity to coach Indiana football. Here's one fun. I'll be at weird Rex Ryan for IU coach. I, I don't, I don't think he's coming back either. I'd be surprised. At least he'd uh, give you some sound bites. I mean, that we have sound true. bites from Tom Allen, but they're ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, I, I kind of feel like it's ridiculous. I don't know if it's just me, but uh, new Olympic sports. So some of these make a lot of sense. Baseball, softball back. We already knew cricket would be back. Squash also will join the Olympics in 2028 in LA. Now this is, yeah, this is 2028, not 2024. Yes. So squash, uh, lacrosse. Lacrosse, and then flag football. Which, I mean, the U.S. should win that, right? Should. Doesn't mean they will. Uh, it, full contact football was a demonstration sport in the 1932 games in L.A., uh, but it'll be men's and women's flag football. Unknown if Major League Baseball players will be able to participate in baseball in its return. Lacrosse back for the first time since 1908. Uh, it'll be six aside there. It'll be the debut for squash. Breakdance won't return after it debuts in Paris next year. Aw. Too bad. Now, I don't understand squash. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know squash. Uh, it's very similar, it seems to me, like racquetball. Yes, that's... Uh, it's a four-walled court between two players or four and doubles competition. Similar in many ways to racquetball. Players take turns striking the ball to playable areas on the walls. Um, is racquetball to... an Olympic sport? Okay, here we go. Ceiling is out of bounds in squash, not in racquetball. So that's the main, big, main difference? That is one of the main differences. Squash right. courts have a marked outline around the upper wall, and you have to stand in a specific box to serve. I mean, I played racquetball. Obviously, never played squash. Seems like a, I don't know. The only one I'm getting excited. Well, flag football will be fun. Baseball and softball will be fun. Cricket, no. 
Don't cricket games go forever? They'll have a limit. Okay. Either a time, it's either a time limit or an inning or whatever they call it. A it's wicket. Like, like Pakistan and Azerbaijan could play like a cricket game for like four days. Yeah. So, okay, there'll be a time limit on that. Mm-hmm. That's right. that's the key thing there. Another text on IU. Uh, what is Antoine Reynolds or Trent Green up to when a coach IU? I think Antoine Reynolds is a coach. Uh, yeah, he's somewhere. Um, he is wide receiver coach somewhere. I think with the Lions. Yeah, there you go. I don't think he's leaving the Lions to coach at IU. I mean, he's uh, no, no, no. You don't know. Maybe glutton for punishment. Uh, Trent Green. I don't know what the hell he's doing. Yeah, I have. No clue. I don't think he's coach anymore. I no, he's not. Not not to my knowledge. So, all right, we got to take a break. We got James Boyd on the other side. Yes, James Boyd of the Athletic. Anthony Richardson possibly out for the season. What does it mean, and how do we view year one of Richardson in Indianapolis? We'll talk with James Boyd about that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, thirteen eighty, the fan, and one hundred point nine FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan in 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you. Don't forget the stream back up and running. You can listen at 1380thefan.com on the free 1380 The Fan app or your smart speaker. Coming up this hour on the show, we'll be joined by James Boyd of The Athletic here shortly. Plus, more complaints about the NFL turf. All the preseason and early season hype is gone for one college football program, but why it's still not a failure, despite what you may want to believe. And before we leave today on the show, a bear broke into a home. He's just getting ready for hibernation. We'll explain what he had to steal uh, in that home before we leave you at the end of the show. Joining us now on the guest line, Colts beat writer for the athletic James Boyd. Good morning, James. Good morning. James, so we look at Anthony Richardson probably done for the rest of the season, according to Jim Ursay. Is year one a success, a failure? How do you grade year one for Anthony Richardson in Indianapolis? An incomplete. You know, I don't know how to grade it, but I do think that he showed enough for them to feel confident that maybe they have found that long-term answer at quarterback. But now the key is, okay, can we keep this guy – healthy, you know, with whatever happens with his shoulder, whether it's surgery or not, just getting it, you know, back to 100% and then not rushing it to make sure that whenever he does come back, he's able to stay out there. And then the next question after that happens, you know, maybe we'll have to wait until next season to ask those questions and get definitive answers is how do you protect him when he is out there and make sure this doesn't, you know, continue to happen because he has had, you know, a number of injuries throughout his first few games of the NFL career. And obviously this is the most significant one. James, what was the decision and why was the decision made to have surgery? Initially, it was said, okay, you can come back in, in, in a couple weeks. So is that something that more long-term helps the shoulder and prevents re-injury? What goes into that decision to have surgery? Yeah, so Jim was, uh, you know, he just said it was probable. He did not say it was, you know, going to happen um, or, or that it was, you know, uh, for certain, you know, the final decision will come here in the next few days, I would assume, um, next week or so. However, um, when I was reading about the AC uh, grade three sprain, I, I was you know, learning that a lot of it has to do with just the ligaments and, and strengthening it. And, and one way to do that when you have a grade three sprain is to make sure that you have surgery to kind of reattach everything and get everything um, tightened up in that place. And um, according to, you know, Mayo Clinic, whatever else you read online, 
is basically like if you had an injury before, there's also, you know, a, a good reason to go ahead and get surgery because it will stabilize it even more. And um, I don't know if people listening know, but Anthony has had the injury before in high school. Um, it was actually documented in the Netflix series, uh, QB1 Beyond the Light. And so you saw what happened in that, you know, show if anybody out there watched it, he missed the rest of his, like, senior season in high school with the same injury to his throwing shoulder. So, um, you know, maybe this is the best route if they choose surgery to make sure that this doesn't happen again. But um, obviously disappointing for him, the team, all around. And I think it does change, uh, you know, the outlook of the season significantly. James, when you look at the running game, and it seems like every week you've had a different scenario, whether you have Anthony Richardson in there, Gardner Minshew, you have Jonathan Taylor, you didn't have Jonathan Taylor. How key is the running game going to be now that Anthony Richardson's not back there and Gardner Minshew is a less mobile dude than what Richardson is? I think it'll be key. I definitely think it will obviously be relied on even more. However, it comes down to Gardner Minshew being able to make some sort of plays through the air because teams are just going to, you know, play with seven or eight in the box and force Gardner Minshew to beat them. That's what um, the Jacksonville Jaguars did. I went back and watched a few plays. And, I mean, even in obvious, you know, like situations where most defenses would kind of back off, they were like, no, we're going to load the box. Even when they had, you know, the Colts had four guys spread out wide, they still had seven guys, you know, in the box, you know, ready to attack the run. And they were like, okay, we'll just, you know, live with Gardner Minshew beating us, and he couldn't do it. I think that's going to be the game plan for every team going forward, if Gardner mentioned the starter for the rest of the season, it's going to be, hey, you know, we know what JT can do. We know what Zach Moss has done. Um, we're going to force you to be their best player, the most important player. And if you can't do that, um, the wins are going to be hard to come by because it's hard to generate offense. Even for a great running back, you're going to stack the box every single time. And I hear fans telling me, well, they did it in 2021. You know who they had in 2021? Jack Doyle, who changed a lot of, you know, uh, defensive uh, fronts, you know, with his great blocking skills. They don't have a tight end like that throw in there and block. Uh, James Boyd of The Athletic joining us on the guest line. So we saw this Sunday as Gardner Minshew can't really beat a team over the top. He's not a vertical threat down the field kind of passer. So is there anything the Colts can do with that or is the offense tailored to him and he is who he is? Is there something they can change to have more of a deep threat to open up the run or is this just something the Colts are going to have to work around the rest of the year? I don't think Gardner Mitchell will ever be a true deep threat quarterback because that's just not his, you know, MO five years into his career. You are who you are at that point. However, I do think that they could figure out some ways to get guys in space. And I, you know, I trust Shane Sykin in that regard. They had that one, you know, kind of cool play where they, you know, put John Taylor out wide, you know, ran him across the field with a linebacker on him who was too slow to keep up, caught it, went for 40 yards. And so things like that, you know, even with, you know, uh, the wide receivers moving those guys around in space and just having a little bit more movement and motion could help, you know, create some, some downfield throws. Now, is it going to be some, you know, 50-yard, you know, uh, deep ball? No, but I do think that, you know, Gardner Minshew and this offense has to be able to push the ball, you know, down the field, at least throw it past the sticks every now and then because right now he ranks in the bottom of the league when it comes to air yards per attempt. You know, um, the number of deep balls that he throws that, that, or even just intermediate passes that are like, you know, 15-plus yards on the field. He, he ranks in, in the bottom of the league in that regard. So, um, you know, it's something that they have to figure out and figure out quickly because it won't get any easier this upcoming week against, you know, a Cleveland Browns defense is one of the best in the league. 
James, with with Anthony Richardson out and the, the lack of big playability out of Minshew, and quite frankly, I think the lack of big playability players on the roster. How much of that of the onus now goes on the defense? It didn't play well enough on Sunday. It has a a, a better matchup against Cleveland coming up, but. How much now is the focus going on the defensive side of the ball to maybe lead this team the rest of the way? I think that's going to be the case. It has to be the case. And the hard part and the difficult part about Sunday's loss is that the defense actually played pretty good. But when you have a quarterback who commits four turnovers, three interceptions, one loss fumble, and continues to give you know, a team like the Jaguars a short field, it's hard to keep teams you know, from scoring, keep them out of the end zone. So, um, you know, it wasn't like, the Jacksonville Jaguars went off and had 500 yards of offense and 400 yards of offense. I believe they ended the game. It was like 235 yards of offense, something like that. So it wasn't crazy. But, again, um, you have to be able to um, get some stops there, obviously. But I do think that the defense will have to force some turnovers, try to give Gardner Minshew some short fields, and then try to show up some things on the back end to, to keep them in it. And, and most of their wins, if they, you know, if they're able to get a few more here or however many more the rest of the season, it'll be, I don't think, very pretty but just a way for the defense to kind of muddy the game up and then hope that they do enough to kind of help spark the offense. James Boyd of The Athletic with us on the guest line. So the Colts' schedule moving forward, you get some teams either with young quarterbacks, unclear quarterback situations, or teams where the offenses aren't going to be a huge threat starting this Sunday with Cleveland. But on the counterpoint, Cleveland, one of the best defenses in the NFL. So how do the Colts try to find a way to get something to actually work against a team that's given up just 200 yards a game? Like I said, you hope for a few turnovers and you hope that, the, you know, for a muff punt or something like that. But um, at the end of the day, I do think that it will come down to, okay, how do we perhaps unlock John Taylor even more? He has been limited through those first two games. I believe he had 10 snaps in the season, uh, his season debut against the Titans. Then he had 33, I believe, this last week against the Jaguars. So, um, you know, maybe he does have a few more snaps, a few more touches, um, even more important than just the snaps. And, and, you, and basically, you know, you talk about big playability, you try to give the ball to your best playmaker, which is him still, and then go from there. So um, we'll see, but it is a tough task, regardless of who the, you know, the Browns have a quarterback, because as they've shown, they can win with that defense because that defense is so stingy. James, uh, with the rookie class and so much focus was on Anthony Richardson, obviously for good reason. But when you look at the rest of the rookie class through six weeks and you look at at Juju Brunch, you look at Josh Downs, how would you judge the rookie class right now in terms of impact? And maybe where does the focus now go with Richardson seemingly out the rest of the season? Well, I do think that the two rookies that you drafted in the second and third round respectively – you know, um, Juju Brantz and Josh Downs, they, they've shown up. They've proven um, their worth, their value of why you chose them as high as you did. Um, I believe that, you know, obviously Julius had to just get healthy, but he's shown promise. He had some growing pains in his last game where he gave up a touchdown but also had an interception. And that's going to happen when you're playing a young quarterback, um, cornerback, I'm sorry. But he's, uh, he's proven that he can be an impact player. And, you know, just looking at him in the locker room, guys, he is huge. So I'm like, if, if it ever clicks. You know, he's going to be a really good, you know, player. And it, and it has took certain moments. And then Josh Downs um, ranks, I believe, last time I checked, top 10 in the league when, in, among wide receivers when it comes to yards and separation on his uh, targets. So he's able to get open in a phone booth. And it, it showed on that little uh, route that he did to score his first touchdown. So um, I expect him to keep it up. He, he's become more and more involved in the offense. And so um, as, as the Colts, you feel good about 
you know, pretty much every decision you made this, this, this season from top down, you feel good about Shane Steichen. You felt good about Anthony Richardson until the injury. You felt good about Josh Downs, Julius Brent, but the one thing, and, you know, you felt good about bringing JT back into the fold, but the one thing, obviously, to kind of piece it all together was AR's health, which it hasn't been the case. But overall, that rookie class, I'm going to show some promise. You know, you like to see more maybe from Will Mallory and others, but um, your top two picks beyond Anthony Richardson have shown enough. James, and Blake Freeland as well. Yeah, Blake Freeland's played pretty well too. But, but James, through six weeks, and it's enough of a sample size to look at the Colts and say, here, this is what's working, this is what's not working. In terms of, of looking ahead to an offseason, what would you say, at least through six weeks, is saying this is a position group that's going to need an upgrade for the Colts to take that next step? Oh, wow, that's a really good question. Um, I think the biggest thing is probably wide receiver room. Um, you know, Michael Pittman Jr., I believe, has shown that he can produce any quarterback. Um, a bit underrated, I do think, in the NFL because of the revolving door. He's had a quarterback. Um, he's had a different, you know, seems like a different guy throwing to him every, you know, every other week, you know, since he's coming, coming to the NFL. But I do think that, you know, for any offense, if you can add another special playmaker, um, you know, dare I say Marvin Harrison Jr., if the Colts, um, do not have a very good end of the season. And then you're interested in, I mean, that, that would obviously help. But I do think that they need a little bit more there. Um, you want to see more from Alec Pierce. We've got the shoulder thing that he's dealing with this week. But um, we'll see. But, yeah, if I had to pick one position group, um, it would have to be that one because it seems like, you know, you look around the league, the quarterbacks that have shown promise, and you give them that true number one. I'm not saying that Michael Pittman Jr. isn't, but if you give them that special dynamic guy, you know, like a Jamar Chase, you know, uh, like a Stephon Diggs, like the Devontae Adams, Justin Jefferson, those guys, um, it can change the fabric of your whole offense. And I forgot to even mention Tyreek Hill, who seems like he does video game things every single week. James Boyd of The Athletic with us. Uh, one more question before we let you go. Michael Pittman Jr., is, is he a Colt in the future? Does that extension get done? I don't know. I don't think it'll get done during the season. And I don't know if he feels all too uh, bad about it not getting done during the season. Now, you do want that job security you don't want to go out there and get hurt, but um, he's in a totally different situation than Jonathan Taylor where he's going to get paid regardless whether it's the tag, whether it's from the culture, whether it's from someone else. And I do think that it would kind of benefit him to hit free agency because, you know, when you have more suitors, that can drive the price up to keep you here in Indy. So if I'm him, you know, maybe I, you know, I'm not signing for anything less than $20 million, $22 million, but if I get to free agency, I'm adding a five once that 20 and I'm going to ask for 25 And maybe people will say, oh, you're delusional. You're not this, you're not that. But, hey, it's all about the market, and the, the market, unlike the running back market, is still booming for wide receivers. And I believe it's like him and T. Higgins, um, this upcoming free agency class, are like the top guys. So, again, there aren't a lot of huge, you know, big-name guys. So that should drive his price up and, and help him get, you know, whatever he, he wants as far as, you know, extension. So um, I think it does happen, but maybe not during the season. However, it is interesting that, that, that uh, you know, that doesn't get done, but JT does. But it kind of shows you how – you know, they have to use different approaches because I don't think that JT gets an extension if he doesn't kind of make things awkward with the trade requests and everything else. James Boyd of The Athletic with us. James, as always, appreciate the time. All right, appreciate you guys. Have a good one. That's James Boyd with us. Uh, in fact, talking about franchise tags, so I just looked this up. Uh, a franchise tag for the Colts and, and tagging Michael Pittman Jr. would cost roughly $23 million. That's a lot of money to pay... Michael Pittman Jr. I don't think the production has been there to pay him that much money. But if you tag him, I mean, you, you at least get one more year out of it. Yeah, I just don't know if... And it's not a long-term contract. Right. I just don't know if you've seen the production worth even tagging him. But 
We'll see. 46862, your text line number. Again, 46862. If you want to win a four-pack of tickets, see IU and Rutgers on Saturday afternoon in Bloomington, homecoming weekend down at IU. Just text Rutger, again, Rutger, no S, to 46862, and uh, you can be a winner. We'll pick a winner at the end of the show. Coming up on the other side, more complaints about NFL turf. The latest complaints, the latest incidents. This does not seem to be a problem that's going to go away for the NFL anytime soon. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. 46862, your text line number. Again, 46862. You can text Rutger to 46862. Again, Rutger, no S. And be in the running for a four-pack of tickets. See IU and Rutgers in Bloomington Saturday afternoon. Noon kickoff at Memorial Stadium as part of Homecoming Weekend. Given a four-pack Wait today, tomorrow, Thursday, and I believe we also have four tickets for Friday. So uh, yeah. listen all week long for your chance to win some IU football tickets. We have more IU football tickets as well down the road. So uh, be sure to listen in. A couple home games coming up. Michigan State, Wisconsin as well. Some tickets for those matchups. Uh, the podcast from yesterday's show is up. Yesterday had some delays due to the the internet outages, but if if you miss anything from yesterday's show, you can check it out on the podcast. Download episodes on your favorite podcasting platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, all for free. Today's episode should be up uh, by 10.30, so look for that. Normally, every morning by 10.30 should be up on your favorite podcasting platform. So more complaints about turf in the NFL. The latest from Jets wide receiver Garrett Wilson. He called the MetLife Stadium turf garbage. He suffered a non-contact injury versus the Eagles. Says he's fine. What's interesting about this one is the new turf was installed for this season. So it's not like it's old (laughs) turf here. This is brand new turf. The Jets do practice on grass, so there's also that difference. But where you have 15 stadiums with some variation of natural grass and 15 with artificial turf in the NFL, it it makes for a fascinating situation. Yeah, it's just, here's the thing in the NFL, is more and more franchises are going to enclosed stadiums because you can have other events there. Yes. Let's take Chicago, let's take, I mean, Indianapolis always had an enclosed stadium, but... You look at Minnesota, when they went to the Metrodome, it was inside. Originally, they were outside. Detroit was usually outside. Now they're inside. But even like SoFi, inside. And it it can become very, very difficult to grow grass inside. Not everybody can afford the rollout turf like Arizona has. Okay? So... That becomes a very big issue is being inside and trying to grow grass. You look at the the stadiums, I mean, as far as outdoor stadiums, and then again, a lot of outdoor stadiums also have artificial artificial turf, turf, like MetLife Stadium. Yeah, they want to have other events. So that changes how things work. So, and, And this was not the slit film turf that's been controversial that the NFLPA has already called for that to be banned. I mean, that the Colts currently have, but we'll be getting rid of at the end of the season. Yes. So, I mean, you look at where things stand with different stadiums. Dolphins have natural Bermuda grass, outdoor stadium. Uh, other teams with actual grass in an outdoor stadium. Baltimore, they use natural grass. 
Um, elsewhere down the line, Cleveland uses natural Kentucky bluegrass. Uh, so does Pittsburgh. Then you look at other outdoor fields. Uh, Jacksonville uses a, a variation of Bermuda grass. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's five right there. Uh, Denver, bluegrass again. Bermuda grass for Kansas City. Uh, Las Vegas, again, they roll theirs in and out. Same with, obviously, Same with Arizona. Arizona. Um, when you, you when you look at it, but that those are two indoor ones. So I'm just looking at outdoor. But so, here's the thing: like, let's say Detroit got natural grass or, or or regular grass. You can roll it out in November and December. That's you're not growing grass. Like it's easy in Vegas. It's yeah. easy in Arizona. It's not easy in Detroit, Minnesota, and stuff like that. That's what I'm saying. In, in like the switch, I mean, obviously for indoor stadiums, it's understandable. But for outdoor stadiums, it's it's a cost, right? You you pay the money up front, and then you don't have to pay anything for you know five or so years, as opposed to yearly updates with a grass field. Yeah, I get it. I understand both sides. I just I don't know what has to happen for all the all franchises in the NFL to get grass. I don't know. I, I just think you we're at a spot where it almost feels like this is and not in a bad way, but this is the the next injury prevention kind of crusade. Obviously the, the first being concussions. And yeah, they've, you're they've always, done a decent job. I mean, there's always work to be done. Right. But this feels like that next step. Yeah, that could be the next, I guess, crusade, like you said, for NFL players. I'm I'm fine with going back to grass. Here here's the thing. NFL players are in a position where they can speak out on this. The people who can't that I feel like are, are impacted just as much. And they, you know, it's way different high school players and coaches. Have you heard anything from high school players and coaches? No, about this issue. No, I mean, it's, it's more turf is, is a sense of pride for a lot of these schools that get it. I mean, look at South Adams when they were able to put it in this year and it's, it's it. First of all, it's a very impressive turf. And it's prideful because at the high school level, it makes sense to have it because you have so many events on that turf that you don't have to take care of it, or at least you don't have to take care of it as much as natural grass. So it means a lot at, at the high school level. To, to me, I, th- I think even at the college level, I don't know, there's always going to be something that the Players Association is focused on in terms of player safety, and that's their job, and I get it. But I also look at the sport in general and the danger of this, the inherent dangers of playing football. And I'm saying getting injured is part of that inherent danger to me. And I don't, I me, I'm not a, a advocate to saying everybody needs to go to nat, to natural grass because of that, because I see the advantages of turf, especially for some of these franchises, these cities that want to host big events that don't want to deal with natural grass at their stadiums. It's bigger than just football. That makes sense. I, I will say this: it's crazy that we've gone from astroturf to you know, it's just like concrete. By yeah, the way, yeah, <laughs> some variation to field turf, and and you know how bad it was. I mean, players. I think it was kind of funny. You look back at old football pictures, and you see players basically wearing like a variation of like a basketball or running shoe because it's not Leather like you're helmets. wearing. Yeah, it's not like yeah, it's not like you're wearing spikes with 
on AstroTurf, right? Were they? You were. I mean, you had turf shoes. Turf. Yeah, they were yeah. different shoes. You couldn't wear spikes. In it. No. It went with the original AstroTurf because we just tear it up. But we've come a long way. It's just the next step in the process is ironically going back to how football was played before. But I also think that turf is going to continue to improve. Like the new turf is supposed to be better than the slit turf like the Colts have. Similar to concussions. Every helmet is going to be a, a, a further upgrade in combating concussions. So I think I don't think turf is ever going away. I just think the technology is going to continue to get better and better. I think to me, you can't replace like grass is is better than these synthetic turf because the blades of grass are thicker. But here's the thing: like they're they they provide more padding. You obviously have to have dirt. Why did we go? Why did we go from from grass to turf in the beginning? With it was because grass was imperfect. Because you would have divots in there. You would have you would have a bad a rough game in in terms of weather, and it would just be a mud pit, and that causes injuries too. So this is my thing: is you went to turf originally because you were combating the imperfections of the playing surface that would result in some injuries. And now you want to go back to it. So my thing is just you're not going to completely eliminate injuries in the NFL. Yeah, the turf may be less safe than the grass, but it's still, in my opinion, within the in terms of what it what it used to be. Go back in the 50s and 60s and start playing on some of those surfaces and start talking to me about how injuries impacted the game. And there have been some research. I know Washington State did a study and basically concluded that the crumb rubber as part of turf you know it while it does the crumb rubber does contain chemicals known to cause cancer that they don't believe that the actual crumb rubber causes cancer i know that's been a very controversial aspect of all of this i think i'd be interested to see though what people have to say because we're only hearing it on the nfl level from nfl players that's the part that makes me curious about it i think it'd be easier to just create a list of stuff that we know for sure doesn't cause cancer true because it seems like if, if we're hearing this, if we're hearing this rally from college coaches and college players and high school coaches and high school players, I think it would mean more. But change does have to start from the top, and the top is obviously the NFL. Yeah, I would agree. Four six eight six two. Your text line number four six eight six two. We'll put a a poll question on this um, because I, I'm curious what people have have to say about the turf versus grass debate coming up on the other side it's not a debate the season regardless of what has happened in the last several weeks has not been a failure for Deion Sanders in Colorado that's next Caleb and Kenny in the morning 1380 the fan and 100.9 FM Caleb and Kenny in the morning 1380 the fan 100.9 FM Caleb Hatch Justin Kinney with you Twitter poll question of the day is up should the NFL mandate natural grass as the uh, playing surface, the official playing service. Caleb Kinney, 1380s, where you can vote in the poll, yes or no. Let us know your thoughts. Someone also texting in at 46862. Uh, grass doesn't grow in Chicago in November and December. Right? It doesn't grow in Indianapolis in November or December. It doesn't grow in Green Bay or Minnesota or Detroit. So then if you have a game in week 11 that is a absolute quagmire at one of those places, then how are you redoing the grass is my question. I mean, even in Chicago with natural grass, I mean, they still have natural grass. 
Um, uh, here's my thing. Greenhouses. I mean, come on, though. <laughs> I mean, All of a sudden, we're going to have a greenhouse next to every stadium. It doesn't have to be next. To, I mean, you can literally like you can move grass like you could truck it. In. Like, here's yeah, the then, here's, you're, then you're paying for that every uh, no, here's you're paying for it. Th- these teams make billions of dollars. I like, I'm it. sorry. I have I have I don't buy cost as an excuse here. I, here's my thing, though. I don't buy. I don't think every team should be mandated to have natural grass. Go out and just play football. Okay. Just go out and play football. We're, we're overthinking, trying to come up with a fake service that resembles grass. You know what resembles grass the best? Grass. I know, but there's issues with grass. That's why we had turf. That's why people went to turf. Because the imperfections of grass. Now people want to go back. Just go out and play football. Shut up and play. <laughs> You're getting paid millions of dollars to go play football. Shut up and play. Here's my thing. The players are the mouthpiece. The NFLPA is the mouthpiece. They can make change happen. They made change happen with with concussions, right? It made change happen with contracts. Like they are the agent of change. So if they want something like this to change, they will make it happen. And I'm I'm all for it. I just say shut up and play. Four six eight six two. Uh, yeah, someone's saying sod has seams that separate. Exactly. So like you can literally like roll up the sod, take it out. Put it in the greenhouse, roll it back up, bring it back into the stadium. Yeah, that seems like a lot of stadiums work. convert from football to hockey to basketball. Like they convert for concerts like all the time. It's just another like that they, they have like a lot of work crews that do this. Just go out and play football. <laughs> all right. I mean, seriously, just go out. Just shut up and play. Four six eight six two. Was, was, my, your wait, was Dick Buckus this. complaining about what, what the playing surface he was playing on? I mean, I don't want to be old school. I'm just saying, man, just go out and play. Shut up and play. <laughs> That's my thing. Uh, I think a lot of people want to say this about this coach and this program. Shut up and play. Uh, but Deion Sanders, Colorado, they blew a twenty nine nothing halftime lead late Friday night. You probably miss it. You're pro- probably asleep. I was asleep. I didn't catch any of this game, but I think I, when I went to bed, I saw, oh yeah, they were winning. I'm like, okay, this is a team they should blow out. End up losing in, in overtime to Stanford. Here's the thing. Despite this loss, despite the fact that that probably took away any realistic shot of the Buffaloes going to a bowl game, the season is still not a failure. The hype early in the season was never going to last as the schedule got tougher uh, it, it's crazy that a bowl game was even on the table. I remember in the preseason, we said about this program, this team, if they could win four games, it would be like them going to the college football playoff and they've already won four games. So anything they do after that to me is impressive. Um, if you win one, uh, another game, you win a fifth game. That's impressive. You, you get six with a the schedule. They have down the stretch. I mean, you can play spoiler. There's no pressure on you the rest of the way. All the hypes disappeared. You don't have the crazy media coverage. The ticket sales have been a win for the program. It's been a win for recruiting, having new life into the program. The season is is not a failure or disappointment at all, despite what I think a lot of people would tell you because of the early season hype around Colorado. I mean, they could finish four and eight. And it's a successful season yes. for Colorado based on what's happened in terms of ticket sales, in terms of what's happened in terms of the the hype that they've received, the coverage they've received. 
and that's pretty much what we expected. If if Colorado could get to three or four wins, it would be a successful season. We said if Deion Sanders got to six wins with Colorado, he'd be the coach of the year yeah. in college football. It wouldn't even be close. And so that's how bad Colorado was last year, even with the turnover coming in to this season. So, yeah, it was huge when they beat TCU. I get it. It was huge when they beat uh, Nebraska and Colorado. I get it. Um, but now they're coming down to earth. Get skunked at Oregon. Made it a game against USC, but effectively got skunked in that game, giving up 48 points. Gave 46. Like, the defense is a def- definite problem. So, as, as you could have all the offensive skill players in the world, if you can't stop anybody, then you're not going to win very many games. And unfortunately for Colorado, they have a, some big challenges coming up. UCLA, Oregon State, uh, Washington State, Utah. So this team will probably get to five wins. I would be surprised if they reach bowl eligibility. Yeah, I mean, it, the, their hope, and, and a lot of people upset because the UCLA-Colorado game is the ABC game coming up not this Saturday, but next Saturday uh, at UCLA at the Rose Bowl. So ABC trying to hype that up. We'll see what that does for ratings being a primetime game at the Rose Bowl. It is a ranked UCLA program. And obviously Colorado is still a curiosity factor even late into the season. I, I mean, UCLA's defense is good. Their offense has issues, certainly. And you're starting a true freshman quarterback. But yes, you look at the rest of the way. If they they could probably sneak out one more win, two would probably be a stretch. But either way, it's a huge step forward for a program that only won one game last year. Yeah, what Dion has been able to do has been tremendous. Stanford game was just a reminder how much further they had to go. Yeah, it's it's as you said, one thing to have the quote unquote skill position players, but their defense is is bad. Let's not forget that Travis Hunter playing both ways means he's gassed. In this yeah. in, in the second half of games, he's gassed. And, and I think that's something as the that the season is, goes on. I mean, that dude's just gonna get tired. Yeah. I think that's something you have to keep in mind uh with this Colorado program. Four six eight six two, your text line number four six eight six two. Last chance to text in for IU Rutgers tickets this Saturday. Homecoming down in Bloomington at Memorial Stadium, noon kickoff. You could win a four pack. Just text Rutger to 46862. Again, Rutger, no S, to 46862, and you'll be in the running for those tickets. We'll pick a winner at the end of the show this morning. Coming up on the other side, a bear broke into a Connecticut home. He had to have this. We'll tell you about that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Final time here on a Tuesday, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Final story of the day. Back on the bear beat today. It's always a good feeling. Back after a one-day hiatus. Yeah. Uh, so a bear in Connecticut invaded a home. Security cameras at the home rolling. Okay. Bear wandered inside, stole a lasagna from the freezer, and climbed out a window. <laughs> lasagna from the freezer. I mean, good taste. I'm a lasagna guy. Are you a lasagna guy? Yes. Uh, so good taste. And dude's hungry. So uh, the homeowner said she received an alert on her phone. Her refrigerator door had been left open. So she checked <laughs> I thought I was the say footage. That she got an alert that a lasagna was missing. No. Somebody's no, uh, it, She was checking the footage on her ring cameras. 
And then it recorded a bear wandering through her home to the kitchen, opened the freezer door, That's snatched all a lasagna, then used the open door as a step to reach an open window. Huh. And then left. I mean, sounds like a a cordial bear. Didn't make a mess. Didn't uh, He could have closed the, the freezer door, the fridge door. That would have been the gentlemanly thing to do. But, uh, you know, the guy's just hungry. I mean, they're trying to, like you said earlier, they're just trying to fatten up for, for winter. I'm curious, how'd the bear get inside? Like, it's the pull-out freezer, too, so the bear pulls it open. So she got an alert on her phone that the the fr- yeah. refrigerator door was open, but not yeah. that a bear had entered her house. Yeah. Or somebody had entered her yeah, house. Yeah, like... That's the thing I'm most curious about. The the window left open. Again, I'm watching the video. Steps out. Has the lasagna. Freezer opens. That means everything in the freezer is ruined. <laughs> yeah. The Unless fact she that he came just right took home. one thing. It's just astounding. Yeah. Again, open window. So is it the open window that the bear crawled through? It, it's not, not clear. Who knows? All in, now, are you purposely searching bear stories now? No, I just find okay, these. Okay, I'm just saying. I was okay. I'm not. I didn't like, know that's if we were thing. making a concerted effort to find them. I'm not even having to try very hard to find them. They're just it's, right there in front like of I've me. I've said before, we add these things up. It's like one of those like criminal, criminal investigation shows where you know they got the map and they start putting up all the locations of things happening. That's what's going on now with us with these bear incidents. We're starting to put thumbtacks in each of these incidents, and we're finding a pattern on what's going on. This is a greater effort of the Bears. We're just not sure what's going on I'm, yet. I'm still convinced, like, this is... They're trying to take over. It's pretty obvious. Thanks to James Boyd of The Athletic for joining us. For Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. Dan Patrick Show coming up. The Herd with Colin Coward at noon. Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle returns today from 3 to 4. And the Sports Rush with Brett Rump from 4 to 6. Your chance to win a pair of Foreigner tickets. Foreigner at the Coliseum coming up a week from tonight, October 24th. That's all to come today here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.